Hey everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Infinity Watchers. My Ooh. name is John Payerton. And I'm Jared Sofranco. Well, Jared, here we are. And we're still trying to work out an intro for everybody. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what we can say about that was it was an intro. It was. It was. Oh, I, I, think, it? I think next week we should have, uh, should put like fireworks going off in the background. I like that. And maybe we'll just edit it into this one. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe I'll find something to do with it. We will see. (laughs) So why don't you tell our listeners what the show is about? So we are huge fans of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And, you know, Jared and I have been friends since um, our our entire lives, since birth. Our parents were friends, so naturally we were friends. You know, this show is really all about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, from news to episode reviews to film reviews, anything under the umbrella of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and, you know, extending out to comics and other pieces of Marvel property where necessary. We pretty much met to talk after every episode of WandaVision, whether it was like texts or, you know, verbally. But after a while, you know, we kind of just discussed that, hey, maybe it would make sense to do a podcast. I mean, we we talk about this all the time anyways, right? Right. So even even when we were both in college on our way back from the movies, we would sit there and talk about it the entire way home. Yeah. I mean, it only naturally made sense to progress into this format. Yeah. I mean, especially since Lord Feige decided to give us new Marvel content every single week. (laughs) Yeah. Bless be to Feige. Yeah, so I mean, there's always going to be a ton to discuss. Six different Disney Plus series this year and four films lined up. There's no better time to be a fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And, you know, we're happy to have everyone along for the journey. Yeah, we have a lot of content to cover. It's 16 years. No, I'm sorry, 13 years in the making. Yep. Something like that. 14 years. 2007 yeah. was 2007 or 2008. I can't remember off the top of my head. It's amazing. I think it's 2008 with Iron Man. So that being said, let's just get right into it with some news for the week. So one of the one of the biggest pieces of news over the past week or so is a casting for Secret Invasion. So Kingsley Ben Adir has been cast in Secret Invasion in an unnamed role. I am not really familiar with his work, but looking through his filmography, a few things stuck out with One Night in Miami, which is getting a lot of recognition, yes. and Peaky Blinders, which is a critically acclaimed series. So I actually am aware of Kingsley Ben Adir's work because I've seen One Night in Miami. He played Malcolm X and he was absolutely fantastic in it as Malcolm X. And he actually has played another very important historical figure. He played Barack Obama in a few scenes in the Comey role. And that, I mean, that's where I first recognized him. I think he's an absolutely fantastic actor on the rise. Yeah, he, I've seen a lot of people praising this casting. I, I'm curious what they're going to do with him because he, he's very versatile from what I've seen. I, I have not seen Peaky Blinders, so I can't speak for that. Yeah, I know a lot of people are speculating the villain role. It seems to be a a very prominent role in the series, whatever it is. I don't know what they're doing as far as the villain with Secret Invasion. I mean, you would imagine it would be a scroll of some sort. I don't I don't think they would do anything like Super Scroll at this point since the Super Scroll's powers are kind of a combination of the Fantastic Four. Reed Richards confirmed. Teams <laughs> <laughs> really Reed Richards. Yeah, he would be a good Reed Richards. He he would be. The uh yeah. the, the John Krasinski rumors all these years have just been <laughs> yeah. throw us off the scent of what they really want to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Eventually, I mean with the Disney Plus series slow down, we have a we have a break, we can go through our Fantastic Four fan casts. Oh boy. Ideas of who I think should play them. I we don't know much more about this role. We'll definitely bring the news as it comes, but exciting to see um some casting 
in that series, aside from Fury and Talos and Ben Mendelsohn and Samuel L. Jackson. So you would assume, based on the WandaVision post-credit scene, spoilers for WandaVision, that Monica Rambeau will be in that series as well. Right. It seemed that was heavily hinted. So the next uh, next bit of news, per se, not really news, but kind of just confirmation of what was expected. The finale of The Falcon and Winter Soldier is set to air on April 23rd. So that's six straight weeks of episodes. And then the assembled, the making of The Falcon Winter Soldier is confirmed for April 30th, continuing the trend of what was started with WandaVision, having this behind the scenes look at The Falcon and the Winter Soldier series should be really interesting. And interesting timing because that puts us one week out from Black Widow which is currently scheduled. (laughs) Yes. As as of now. (laughs) As of now, it's scheduled for May 7th. We might, there's a very good chance that it'll get pushed back again. Yeah, that's actually, you know, that leads kind of pretty well into another thing we have to talk about this week. And that's that Bob Chapik, the CEO of Disney, said that the Black Widow release is going to be kind of a last minute decision. You know, I see a couple of options for Disney here with Black Widow. They could just go strictly theaters at which it's going to return an underwhelming box office, I would imagine at that point. They could do kind of a hybrid release like they've done with uh, Raya and the Last Dragon, one of their animated movies, and do a premiere access on Disney+, Plus, charge $30 for that account to be able to watch the film. And then the, ah, I don't really see it as a third option, but it is out there that they could just go direct to streaming with it. And go the the soul route and just put it straight up on Disney+. Plus. Right. See, yeah. I, I, I think personally it, it would make the most sense from a business standpoint to put it on the Premier Access Plus. They're not going to give up a billion, a possible billion dollar release to just mm-hmm. throw it on a streaming platform. Yep. It, that the hybrid release seems like the most logical one to me for for them. I mean, a, another option could be a delay just to keep the strict theater release. I don't see them releasing May seventh only in theaters. I think if it's, if we're watching it May seventh, I'm with you. It's a hybrid release. Yeah. The other option could be to delay it. I don't know if that would be a delay for every other movie like it has in the past, where they just push the entire slate out. I I don't. I just don't think another delay is likely at this point. Like you said, it, it's. I wouldn't even say it's likely to be a billion dollar movie. I'd say it's just about guaranteed to be a billion. Movie. At, at this point, I would say so. When it was supposed to release last year, I remember there was speculation that there was the possibility it was going to reach a billion. Given it was the Black Widow movie, everybody has, or all Marvel fans have been anticipating for years now, and it was the first one back for Phase Four. I do want to, I do have, I do want to ask though, what are your thoughts on the, on Disney's premium access? program i think it's great i mean i'm happy to have that option Uh, once theaters are back i definitely would you know these these type of movies the marvel movies i am definitely more inclined to see them in theaters still Mm -hmm. i still want that theater experience especially for you know the big team up movies the experience in endgame was awesome and infinity war was awesome right so you know having that i i would really like to continue it is nice to have four other options other films like brian the last dragon Maybe mm-hmm. something you don't necessarily need to see in theaters. Right. Nice to have that option. Um, and I think the price point's okay. Because, I mean, if you assume fairly, that a family is watching it. I mean, you spend at the theater, you already spend 10 to $13 on a ticket as it is. If you take three or four people to see it, you're already over what the premium tier pricing is. So that $30 price point, I know people were upset by it, but it made sense. Yeah, and you think, well, you can watch it as many times as you want, so it's comparable right. to a digital purchase anyways, which that range too. from 20 to 30 <laughs> So 
And eventually, if you want to, even if you just want to stick it out, it'll probably, they're, they're going to take it off of the premiere. premiere as it is, just upload it straight to the service. Yep, which they did with Mulan. Mm-hmm. Um, so with, with Black Widow being a last minute decision, I would imagine Raya and The Last Dragon is probably playing a big role in them wanting to wait because they're waiting to see what those numbers look like, how many people, right. how many subscribers it brought in for one, how many people actually purchased it through Premiere Access to see how, see how that performed. Although I think uh, you can't really compare those numbers to what a Marvel no. film would pull in, I think. I feel bad for Scarlett Johansson out of all of this because her, <laughs> I mean, this has been a movie people have been asking for for a long time and her character has deserved for a long time. And as soon as it was ready to happen, you know, the world melted down. So <laughs> it's a shame. Um, speaking of Disney Plus, this week, Disney announced that the platform crossed 100 million subscribers, mm-hmm. um, including a 15 million growth since December. Um, of 2020. So I think a lot of that you can uh, attribute to WandaVision. Right. I mean, the anticipation for that and the, the series actual release definitely drove a lot of people to the platform, I think, and a lot of hype. And um, I imagine a lot of this fan base, if they weren't already subscribed for things like Mandalorian and other Disney properties, they definitely were subscribed for WandaVision. Yeah, well, the virality of WandaVision also had to have driven those numbers up. I mean, you couldn't go anywhere on social media without seeing memes or speculation or or just people discussing it in general. Yeah, and it, it really became a phenomenon and appointment viewing much in the way that, I, I mean, I really don't think I've seen a show that had an impact like this since Game of Thrones, probably, in terms right. of it, like it discussions. Really, and I didn't think about that. It really was the last time I've seen like the, the monoculture, if you will, of like every, almost everybody coming into one place to discuss this one property. I didn't think about that. Yeah, and w- one of my benchmarks for, you know, what I would consider appointment television is in this day and age, I guess, is, you know, the aspect of spoilers. So mm-hmm. WandaVision is in that category of what Game of Thrones was, you know, before the last season, but we, we don't need to get into that. <laughs> um, <laughs> where, you know, I'm staying away from social media until I watch it. I'm making sure I watch it before I go into the office on Monday morning. You know, it's, right. it's like, I, I need to see this because I don't want this spoiled for me because I'm so invested in this plot so it's good to see the platform succeeding and to hit 100 million subscribers like right as the marvel content starts to flow is i think huge for disney because it's only going to grow from here i I remember you and i were watching their investors call we were watching it specifically for the announcements but i remember at the beginning their benchmark was to hit what 100 million in by 2024 was it if i remember correctly so i think something like that if i mean they've already hit that benchmark three years early. So I'm curious to see, given this platform's growth, massive and sudden growth, all of a sudden, what else they're willing to do with it. Yeah, and I think, you know, over the next few years, you're going to see an even heavier investment in the platform. All good stuff. Well, another another sort of subscriber, um, you know, industry type headline here. Avengers Endgame is no longer the number one highest grossing film of all time. Disney did Marvel dirty with this one. And they decided, I'm so mad about this, they decided to re-release Avatar in China these past few weeks in order to get it to the number one spot again. And I'll never understand that decision. I mean, eventually they'll re-release Endgame. (laughs) They're just going to constantly be competing with each other. But you know who's going to end up on top in the end? 
Zoe Saldana. Yes, yes, Zoe Saldana is officially the the queen of the box office. Yes, there's no denying it anymore. <laughs> I mean, do you think Avatar two beats Avatar one when that releases in twenty thirty? I think Avatar four beats Avatar one before okay. Avatar three comes out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the only logical conclusion, and I think that makes a lot of sense to me, to be honest yes, with you. perfect sense. James Cameron, keep doing what you're doing. Okay, so our last bit of news here, kind of a downer or kind of a good thing, depending on how you look at it. Kevin Feige denied this week that Chris Evans is returning as Captain America slash Steve Rogers. So if you remember earlier in January, there were some reports from some industry insiders saying that Chris Evans was coming back kind of in a supporting role in a film similar to Tony Stark in Homecoming. Chris Evans denied that with a tweet saying news to me or something <laughs> along those lines. And a sense of humor about it. Yeah. And this week, Feige kind of shut those down. I kind of see this as a good thing myself because if you're going to do it, you have to do it right and it shouldn't be so soon after the events of Endgame. Right. Uh, I do. I kind of expect him to come back as old man Cap and Falcon and the Winter Soldier at some point, you know, getting into prediction territory here for a second. But his ending was so great thematically mm-hmm. and, and I feel it would be undercut. His arc ended exactly where it needed to. Him finally realizing the life that he missed out on all these years in the ice and even in the modern day and not to mention acting as a joe biden impersonator Did you ever notice yeah. how, how how eerily similar chris evans and old man makeup looks to biden yeah looks and even sounds sounds like you know too. a little bit i noticed that in this episode at the beginning when the the voiceover part happened i i had seen memes about you know him looking like biden but it any time i hear it i i hear biden now so <laughs> when when we saw it in theaters, that was one of the first things that came to mind. <laughs> I, that, that image has just never left my head. Throughout the whole 2020 election, I'm like, that, is this really just Chris Evans doing a bit? Yeah, it's, it's hard it, to get is, out of your mind. Is, is Chris Evans not returning because he is really in the White House right now in old man makeup? Heidi, <laughs> we need answers. Tell us now. We need answers. I think Chris Evans is going to return as Mephisto. Yes. Old Man Cap was Mephisto. It's confirmed. Look it up. (laughs) (laughs) Joe Biden is Captain America and also Mephisto. (laughs) Joe Biden is... Oh, my God. (laughs) All right. On that note, I have no good transition to get us into our topic, so let's just get to our topic. Our topic this week. Yes. Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Our um our topic this week is the first episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yes. So the second Disney Plus series under the MCU banner and the Marvel Studios banner. Now the series, like most of the Disney Plus ones, had a budget of 150 million, which equates to you know around 25 million per episode or so. You know, it's all kind of approximated. I would imagine after it's out, we'll get more concrete numbers. This episode was titled "New World Order," directed like the rest of the series by I think it's Kari Skogland or mm-hmm. Carrie Skogland, um, who also directed um, episodes of House of Cards for Netflix a few episodes of the Punisher Netflix series, episodes of Vikings, and episodes of The Handmaid's Tale. So quite a resume of genre television there, I'd say. Um, The score for The Falcon and the Winter Soldier was composed by Henry Jackson, who also did Kong Skull Island, X-Men First Class, and then 
Captain America, the Winter Soldier, and Captain America, Civil War. It really makes a ton of sense why they would bring that composer back for this. I think the right. scores in both the Winter Soldier and Civil War were pretty, pretty solid. And the show, and this episode specifically was written by Malcolm Spellman, who <laughs> has, uh, he, he's one of the co-creators of, he's either the creator or one of the co-creators of the series. <clears throat> Malcolm Spellman was the executive producer and showrunner on Hip Hop Uncovered, Truth Be Told, and Empire. Pretty solid resume there. Right. So he had, he had, Disney's really going hard on pulling in some creative individuals for television specifically. Okay, you know, our episode here opens up with the Falcon and sort of a quiet moment, ironing a shirt, pulling out the cap shield and taking a look at it. And you can kind of hear the dialogue from the end of Endgame Mm -hmm. where Cap hands the shield to Falcon. And, you know, he just kind of meditates on the shield for a bit and puts it back in the bag. And that's our that's our first scene. That's the opening we get right before the title card. So, you know, I think this scene is a good way to start the series to kind of I have Falcon. So it it sets the tone right from the bat, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, not not so far as the action tone, but, you know, you start to get a sense for what the themes are. And I don't know if it's just me that was thinking this, but when he was putting his suit on, did you think it was Cap's funeral they were going to? He was going oh, to? Oh, for sure. Okay. A hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. When I saw those, there were some scenes in the trailer and pre-release stills that had him in the suit like that, you know, holding the shield. And I immediately was like, yeah, Cap's dead. But I mean, I guess the world thinks he's dead anyways, but I thought old man Cap was dead. (laughs) Right. And I mean, immediately, like you said in that first scene, it sets up our conflict and themes for Sam specifically Mm -hmm. of, of deciding whether or not to take on the mantle of Captain America. Right after this, we jump back in time a little bit to our opening action scene of the series, which was fantastic. (laughs) I mean, it opens with Falcon in a U.S. Air Force carrier, and he it appears he's been working with the Air Force a bit since coming back from Endgame, I guess, just trying to find his place in the world. But they're after a target captain in in the military that was captured by a... Um, sort of, I guess, a terrorist organization called LAF. I looked up LAF and couldn't find any references to that in the comics or anything. I, you know, when I hear these organizations in the shows and the movies, I kind of assume it's an Easter egg or a reference yeah. of some sort that that they're alluding to. But yeah, I, I couldn't find anything either. I was, exactly. I was half expecting them to give some sort of idea of what that is or who mm-hmm. that is. So Falcon's directive from the Air Force is to be subtle about it. And you, as the scene progresses, there's literally nothing no, subtle nothing about subtle. any. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Falcon even hints at that, like, cause he's like, yeah, subtle. Right. And then he like falls backwards right. off of the plane. <laughs> you know, did you notice the, the drop is shot almost exactly like the, the winter soldier? Oh, really? Drop off. I didn't catch it. Yeah. Yeah, it's him walking at, walking toward the back of the carrier with him just like kind of doing the, uh, what do they call it, the angel dive. Yep. Uh, or the trust fall right off the back of it. <laughs> yeah. I just, I, I definitely got a laugh out of them telling the, the guy with the wingsuit <laughs> to, to be, be subtle. subtle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, okay. See, I, I have a question. I have a question about that wingsuit, though. And I don't uh-huh. know if this is something I missed in a prior installment or from the Winter Soldier and I, and I missed it. But is is it just a jetpack or is he like gliding? It's a combination. Okay. It has a jet like right on his back, like where a backpack would be. Uh-huh. But the wings also allow him to like glide distances and like, you know, more easily control 
his destinations and targets you know so after falcon drops from the plane he heads towards this uh, target plane like his target where the kidnapped captain is being held and we see after falcon kind of lands on the cockpit and peeks in at the guys that um the leader of laf is batrock the leaper (laughs) so i don't know if you remember him from Captain America, the Winter Soldier, but played by George St. Pierre, the MMA fighter. Mm-hmm. He had a really cool showdown in the Winter Soldier with Cap playing the, the comic civilian Batroc the Leaper. So <laughs> it was cool to see see him come back and they're willing to bring these like small villains C- back. Yeah, C list villains opening like I need to show my power, so I'm gonna defeat you in the First scene of the movie, villains. Right. Well, isn't isn't Baltron typically seen as like a joke in the comics? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> and so we're just gonna keep this recurring bit where he's just gonna keep showing up. Yeah, he just, just gets beat just constantly. to be a punching bag. <laughs> yeah, I'll get you next time. <laughs> I mean, he has to be the first Marvel villain to be defeated in the opening scene of a movie twice, right? I mean, I tech, so. the opening action scene of a movie. I yeah, say. pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> So if it, it would be funny if it's a running joke. Like anytime they just need An like opening. fodder for the beginning of a movie, they just throw him out in front to just get punched in the face. Baltrop, you won't survive this again. One one really interesting thing about them choosing Batrock specifically, and I wonder if this is um, the reason that they did, is in the Winter Soldier, when he goes to fight Cap there's uh, an exchange between them where he challenges he i mean basically challenges cap to fight him without the shield and mm-hmm. cap throws his shield to the side and they kind of fight mono mono right so to say so that kind of you know going back to falcon not wanting to accept the shield fighting without the shield kind of is a nice little parallel yeah that's that's a good point so i mean from there the fight just gets crazy i mean it's awesome there're flying squirrel suits involved the wing suits involved and I mean, some of my cool, the coolest things from the fight scene, in my opinion, um, there was a point where Falcon grabbed somebody by the back of the head and then used his jets to propel forward and mm-hmm. smash that guy off of some cargo. That was really cool. And then he was also just like tethering people, pulling them out of out of the helicopters. Uh, it was just really, really well done fight scene. And one of the things that was surprising to me was I felt like in the trailers this was the the primary action scene that they showed from the series. Yeah. Yeah. So I that expected was... it to, I actually expected it to be much later in the show. I didn't expect this to be the opening scene. Yeah. Same here because it, it man, in the trailer, like those shots just pull you in because mm-hmm. it, it's amazing. Like it's shot so well. The, the expanse of him fighting over this whole Canyon while they're, you know, and that attention of needing to do this, like you're, you're, he's time boxed essentially. He has to do this before they get over the Libya border. The Libyans. So, so it's it's pretty. It was incredible, honestly. Um, we also are introduced to Torres in this scene, um, who's got a Falcon's guy on the ground um, with the military. And the interesting thing about Torres is he actually becomes Falcon in the comics. So that's kind of a nice nod. Maybe they, you know, if Falcon takes over the captain. America mantle, and then maybe Torres is around in a more significant role, but we will see about that. Yeah, it seems so, like a cool character. Yeah, it seemed interesting. Um, speaking of Torres, that's kind of our next scene is uh, Torres and Sam hanging out after the after the big battle, and Sam's repairing his uh, Red Wing, his little drone 
mm-hmm. just making sure it's up to snuff and everything. And there's some good conversation between Torres and Sam. Um, one of the things they hit on is the Flag Smashers. So this is the first time we get the reference to them. Right. It seems like they're going to be a huge deal in the series based on, you know, casting and everything we've seen in the trailers. But what's interesting about them to me is that they're kind of like an online, um, you know, terrorist organization, which echoes a lot of what we see in present day America. Yeah, yeah. It's I, I'm not going to lie. This whole episode, it was very hard to to sit through without the events of January sits in the back of my mind yeah. of, of knowing that, that the flat smashers are this shadowy online anonymous organization that want that have no allegiance to anyone, but the group mm-hmm. I was doing some reading and I believe in the comics, they are, they have no essentially have no political affiliation yeah, so the Flag Smasher in the comics is actually one character. Yeah. Who has the same like sort of agenda, but for this series it seems like they're adapting them to be an entire organization. Right. Which makes a lot of sense with the like current, current world. Right. And I, I wonder, because this was supposed to be released in what, September, October of last year? Yeah, I think something like that. I wonder if they decided to reshoot some of this or rewrite some of this with the, with changing the flag smashers into this uh, anonymous online group. Uh, I would say it's definitely possible. Or if they were just, or if Spellman and the group and the crew were just kind of for kind of foreshadowing what could be. I think we were, we were kind of like heading there in the world anyways. You know what I mean? Yeah. To, to, you know, I think it is a direct commentary on that by them, and I don't even think they would have needed to rewrite it. They probably, you know, yeah, that's that true. Stuff was already around. It was already around, and it would already yeah. be they would instead of being in the mainstream in the mainstream media and consciousness, it would be just this fringe group that right uh, only a handful of people a handful of people are aware of. We also in this scene kind of get the first indication of how the flag smashers communicate because he was holding up his phone almost like uh like pokemon go or something right yeah, like an ar right. experience like trying to find this marking to to let him know where um i don't i don't know exactly what he found in this scene that kind of confused me a little bit yeah but it seemed like he found a flag smasher marking meetup point something like that i'm, I'm curious how he knows where they are though or if he just like pulls out his phone at random and starts scanning the environment to see what what they're yeah, could like, be. Why were they right next to where they were having lunch? <laughs> it, it 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 seemed like too much of a coincidence for the for the marking to be literally right there, right uh, right above them, and uh, it gave them the exact coordinates of where the next meetup was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I we'll see if that's any more than just plot convenience, but. It is a good point because that was very convenient to their like current conversation. <laughs> yeah, I mean there there could be more to Torres than meets the eye. I think yeah, you know, the later scene with him makes me question that a little bit less. But I do, we'll I do, see. I do wonder though, and this is one of the questions I had. I I might not be remembering correctly, but the guy who comes up to the table and says, "Thank you for saving us," uh, was that was he from an older? 
show or movie or no i think what that was he 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 specifically said thank you for saving my wife yeah so i took that to mean his wife was snapped and sam saved her because he fought with the avengers because he came when he came up to the table he said hey avengers like okay he, he referenced he knew sam was in the avengers and i think his wife was blipped and sam you know being an avenger was part of the team that brought her back Right. Okay. Even though he has blipped himself, so technically he didn't bring him back, but whatever. And nobody knows who. <laughs> yeah, no, no one. <laughs> unless, unless like there, there's like some uh, some anonymous group that people come to for counseling or grief counseling to to yeah. say, oh yeah, I disappeared for five years all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, I don't think anyone would know, but just to just to acknowledge it, or that makes sense. Just to acknowledge it. He is an Avenger, and people do. Some people do know him as an Avenger. Yeah. Yep. Which, which exactly. getting, which we'll get into a little bit later with the Bane scene. But yeah, that actually, that that's a good point. Yeah, and I think I, I was definitely surprised by how much this episode addressed the blip. <laughs> I mean, this is it's a bleak world. Yeah, and you know we'll talk about that more with the bank scene specifically. But um, well, I think I think if I can. Uh, kind of uh, dovetail here for a second. I think this whole phase four is going to deal with the af- the aftermath of the blip and the specifically the uh, the trauma that has occurred because of it. I mean, mm-hmm. in WandaVision, we get to see Wanda's grief and trauma of dealing with the loss of her love and vision. And here we're starting to see Sam and Bucky dealing with this world after post Thanos, if you will. Yeah. And I think with the blip specifically and how they beat Thanos and undid what, what he had done um, to a point, they, they picked the most interesting option. I mean, they had, they had options on the table to, you know, just rewrite, rewrite time if they had chosen to, Right to make their time travel rules like that and just make it like no one ever knew that Thanos happened. No one ever knew the Avengers saved them, that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, bringing everyone forward into the current day, mm-hmm. just, you know, there is grief and trauma for everyone. The Not people who ma- disappeared have to catch up on our lives. The people who are still here lost the people they love for five years. It's right. the world just, you know, infrastructures fell apart. You know, as we see in the banking thing, like, the banks didn't know what to do. Right. Basically. Not to mention uh, Monica's trauma and grief as well, dealing with the lo- loss of her mother and how to deal with that. I think going forward through this entire phase, it's going to be a regular occurrence of how this whole, whole universe has dealt with the, these problems. Definitely. Definitely. And that's, you know, becoming increasingly clear. And that some, mm-hmm. and, and to your point, some, people and some institutions just didn't know what to do yeah. uh, once everybody came back. Uh, I mean, Far From Home tried to address it, but took a more uh, comedic route with it, of people just yep. drop, dropping into place from where they were. Yeah. But uh, I, I did see a uh, somebody put a criticism up to Far From Home that it didn't do a good job of addressing the blip, and I'm like, that that's not the place that that's not a good place to address it. Yeah. It's a teenage comedy. And not to mention far from home is about 
Peter Parker wanting to take a vacation from being Spider-Man for a short amount of time. So mm-hmm. he doesn't want to have to deal with that grief and trauma either. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it only made sense for them not to address it in Far From Home. Exactly. Yeah, they, I mean, they knew they had avenues like WandaVision, like this series to to explore that. And we're definitely getting that. Yes. Then, you know, sticking with the the um, fallout and the events of Endgame, our next scene is the Smithsonian scene, right? So yep. this is where Sam is giving a speech, um, giving the shield over to the Smithsonian, a.k.a. the government, which right. I'll come to regret, I'm sure. Um, but he hands it over. He has some, some nice lines in there. Um, you know, talking about the, the symbol specifically, he, he mentions that it's more about the man that propped the symbol up and he's gone. That line I think was really good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for a surprise to me was that Rhodey was in this scene, right? <laughs> yeah. I don't think I, any, yeah. I don't, I don't think anybody expected him to show up. No, it makes it sense. Makes sense. Yeah, exactly. And during that specific line, when um, Sam's talking about the the man that propped up the symbol, they cut to Rhodey, and Rhodey kind of looks, you know, down and and off to the side, sort of. And I think, you know, what that what that says to me is like it made him think back to Tony too. Yeah. Right. Like Tony became a symbol, and you know, I think we'll see in the Armor Wars show eventually that Rhodey's kind of dealing with a similar thing that Sam is, but the. After the after the ceremony, Sam and Rhodey take a walk through the the Cap Museum, and I think I think this scene was really good. You know, Rhodey's the first person to ask Sam, "Why didn't you take the shield?" Right. And Sam basically is like, "Well, you know, we went seventy years without a Captain America." To which Rhodey says, "It's uh, these are different times now. Like it's yeah. <laughs> it's not the same world. No, the world's not the same." Uh, and I think it. it we're definitely it's trying to parallel our current world mm-hmm. for uh, for anybody that says well well we we survived without x back then like well it's 2021 now we can't survive without x things are different yeah and with this scene um <clears throat> looking in kind of the background of the museum there are notes that basically recap the the plot points of different Avengers movies. Mm-hmm. I I was looking at this and they talk about the events of New York, you know, just basically going through Cap's life and all of the things that he had a hand in, um, which makes me wonder how much the general public knows about the, you know, the moment to moment beats of the different Avengers battles. You know, do they know everything that happened in the end game battle? Do they, right. what, what's going on there? Or has something been, kind of uh rewritten to uh make the make the stories a little more mythic than they already are fit a narrative right yeah so we we kind of do a pretty hard cut from the smithsonian scene to um a winter soldier fight scene which i did not expect i thought i didn't expect to see bucky in the full winter soldier outfit with the mask the long hair you know, just murdering people. <laughs> that was right. a shock to me. Right. Wasn't sure what was going on there. No. And, and then to see him kind of kill that innocent bystander was pretty rough. Right. And I hate to, I hate to bring this up, but this was sitting in the back of my mind during that entire scene was 
the events of last week in Atlanta, it it was very hard for and, and that's just poor timing all around mm-hmm. on Disney's part. But and I, I think there's there's a conversation there to be had about uh, in general about Asian representation in media. Um, but yeah. I mean, but for me, it was it was hard to sit there and with that scene. In per, those few shots at the end of the dream sequence in particular like the, this is feels just like poor timing yeah but yeah very i that didn't actually jump to the forefront of my mind but looking no. back wow that <laughs> yeah i i won't watch that scene the same way again i don't think um i'm sorry for for no, for, it, for for any listeners <laughs> i'm sorry if i i just happened to ruin ruin your experience with my tapes <laughs> no it's but, true though i mean that's that's the timing of it is not ideal right so, so it turns out this this scene is a is a dream bucky wakes up and the next thing we know he's in therapy yeah. um which this scene was really great as well did you notice though he's sleeping on the floor of an apartment mm-hmm. i wonder if that's just from him being in the army that he's used to he's not used to sleeping in a bed he's been comfortable then He's been comfortable. Yeah, he's been brainwashed for 50 to 70 years. He's used to sleeping in rough terrain environments. He right. doesn't need a bed necessarily. Yeah. I thought that, I thought that was a, an interesting choice. Yeah, that definitely makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Honestly. So with his, with his therapy scene, I, I thought this was really, really great. Um, you know, there's a lot of back and forth between he and his therapist about his nightmares specifically to start off. So they're talking, he, I mean, he's just denying that he has nightmares. Mm -hmm. Um, and the, the therapist starts poking at him and asking him if he made any progress with his list basically. So he has, this is where we find out he has a list of people he either wants to take revenge on in some way, it seems, or people that he wants to make amends with. So we, we get kind of a great cut to, the parking find lot. out yeah the parking lot we find out he's working with the government to to make amends and get revenge on people so he is part of his pardon he's going and catching um hydra allies that you know made it through the fall of shield and and you know they through this scene it's kind of cut going back and forth between the therapist to the to the parking garage and there the therapist is asking bucky what the rules are if he could repeat them so the first rule is, you know, don't do anything illegal. And the first thing we see is Bucky taking control of their car, like remotely. And right. <laughs> it's probably illegal. <laughs> um, and then the second one's nobody gets hurt. And we see him just knock out or I, I, it was unclear to me whether he knocked out or killed the passenger in the car. Yeah. He made a snap like he killed him, but I'm <laughs> guessing he didn't or else he, you know, his pardon probably would go away. And then the third, you know, he had to say that, I used to be the Winter Soldier, and now I'm James Barnes. This is part of my my um, attempt to make amends. And then he did this like horribly awkward, cheesy smile at the <laughs> senator, and it was it was pretty great. Yeah, um, I, I will say though that that whole scene, the uh, the therapist asked him to repeat the rules. Just felt, I get why it's there, but it just felt like an unnatural way to explain to the audience what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. 
<clears throat> I I liked it because I, I felt it was, like it was making it clear. Yeah. That was, you know the first couple rules he violated, and the third one he didn't really care for. <laughs> right. No, I, no, it was entertaining. I just thought it was funny that. Uh, I mean, the therapist who's been seen over and over goes, okay, now repeat the rules again. <laughs> yep. But, but yeah, it was an entertaining scene. And the fact that uh, the FBI just swarms the car right after. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I would, I, honestly, I would love to see an entire series of Bucky just going on his going through <laughs> his checklist. Missions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Vengeance missions and taking old men out to dinner. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I can't remember if this is the first time we get a close-up of his list or if that's in a later scene, but um, on the list, I can't remember if this is the first time that we see the um, details of the list that Bucky has, but a couple of names stuck out to me. Um, So one is L. Kaminsky on there. So um, this is probably a reference to Len Kaminsky, who was an illustrator and editor at Marvel. Um, and he was actually a character that created Bucky Barnes' sister. So kind of an interesting little comics connection there. Um, and then the big one that's not so much an Easter egg, but kind of in the center of the screen to make you notice it is Zemo. Um, right. So that raises some questions in my head about what Zemo's up to. Last we saw him, he was captured at the end of Civil War. So now I'm wondering if he's on the list that it's somebody Bucky either wants to get revenge on or make amends with. I would assume I don't he'd think... want to. I would assume he'd want to get vengeance on, right? Zemo for brainwashing him and making him essentially the the center of the conflict in Civil War, right? But with like the caveat that his his vengeance plays are kind of commissioned by the government. Yeah. Does that mean that Zemo's out now? Did he escape? Like, what? I wonder what happened there. That that could very well be the case. Uh, yeah. I wonder if he escaped and, or I wonder if this is a, a personal vendetta. Yes. There we go. I wonder if this is a personal vendetta. He's that he's out for Zemo with that. Mm-hmm. It's not sanctioned by any government for him to go and take Zemo out. Punch Zemo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it could be. I mean, the only thing about that would risk his pardon, but it might just be worth it to him. I mean, he doesn't seem to really know what to do with his pardon either as well. You know, at the end of the scene, he, she asks him, hey, you're free. And he's like, right. to do what? Right. What do I do? <laughs> and like a couple lines before that is where he referenced that I don't know what to do because my entire life since 1943 or 44 has been, you know, when I'm awake, I'm murdering people. Otherwise, I'm sleeping. <laughs> right. And he said my only piece was the brief time I was in Wakanda. And which yeah, is a neat callback, neat reference. Yeah. But and man, that's tragic. <laughs> And you could you could kind of tell at the end of Black Panther that he, he seemed okay because he, like when they gave him the golden or no they didn't give him the golden arm until Infinity War um, when they came to him like he knew exactly why they were coming to him right and they they knew that or he knew that the only time they would bother him is if there was a conflict of some sort coming that exactly. they absolutely needed the quote white wolf to come help yeah so I thought that was a. A neat callback, a neat scene to kind of introduce us to Bucky's arc and what's been going on with him since the snap. Yeah. Um, or since the blip. So after this after this therapy session, we continue on with Bucky and we see there's a bit of like an altercation in an alleyway. 
and Bucky intervenes, which, you know, reminds me of the first Avenger when he helped Steve in the alleyway. I, I immediately oh, yeah. went there with my mind was like, oh, hey, Bucky's just saving someone in an alleyway. How about that? <laughs> I, <didn't laughs> I mean, it wasn't, that. it wasn't, it wasn't a violent confrontation, but he, no. he I jumped in and. Did a callback I didn't think of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, we find that his his um, acquaintance Yori is arguing over. Um, I think it was trash cans. I can't remember exactly what the argument was. Yeah, it was uh, Yuri taking the garbage, or Yuri not wanting his neighbor to take the garbage out. Right. Or they had like specific trash cans. So the next scene is we go to um, a bar, and Bucky and Yori are having a drink, and. Yori asks the bartender out for Bucky <laughs> and surprisingly she says says yes and he one of my favorite lines was in this scene where Bucky says um I haven't danced since 1943 and then kind of pauses and he's like feels like <laughs> saves <laughs> save himself yeah that, I mean, who that that was one, that was one of my questions is people don't know who he is so like you could get away with acting like an old man and not, and mm-hmm. nobody questioning it. Yeah, I would. I mean, his face is in museums and stuff. That too. So there is that. I don't. It seems like he's pretty confident. People just don't know who he is. So yeah, I mean, I guess it makes sense. But we get um, kind of our first hint at a little bit of sadness in Yori's life when he reflects on the death of his son and not knowing why it happened, and he mentions that. Um, the, he was told his son was just wrong place, wrong time, right? Yeah. Which, you know, I, I picked up immediately I'm like, okay. <laughs> That's what that dream sequence was. Yep. And yeah, this, I, is him, this is him making amends for that whole exactly. incident. Yeah, which is terribly tragic. And, you know, I, I almost wonder if it's less making amends and more just self-punishment for Bucky. Yeah. You know, like he wants to, he wants to understand the pain he caused people. Um, Cause like he said, he, in civil war, when he fought Tony, he said, I remember everything. Like he clearly has all of his memories from his days with Hydra. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he really wants to make amends, but I mean, he's kind of just hanging out with this guy. I guess maybe if he knows the guy doesn't have any companionship or, or anything like that, or maybe he wants to try to give him a father son relationship a little bit, mm-hmm. but I also wonder if there's a bit of, you know, self punishment that Bucky's imposing on himself. Yeah, that could that could very well be the case too. I uh, wants to start trying to empathize with the family members of his victims. And I mean, he went seventy years of nothing but mind control and rage and anger that he never really had any true. He never really had any empathy in general. Right. Yeah, he never had original thoughts even. <laughs> yeah, right. exactly. So after this, we we catch up with... Um, actually, I think we stick with Bucky. We go to when he has his date, right? So yeah, the there's next a lot of is, Bucky in this episode. Yeah. A lot more than I expected. Mm-hmm. So the next scene is we have Bucky going on his date. They play Battleship. Um, interesting thing here is uh, one of the squares that is selected in the game of Battleship is F4. Do you know what that means? Fantastic Four Fantastic confirmed. Fantastic Four confirmed. <laughs> you know it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is our first episode of our podcast within a podcast. 
Fantastic Four confirmed. <laughs> yes. We have our first Fantastic Four reference on the podcast. Bucky's date will be Sue Storm. Exactly. We know it. We know it all along. We didn't get her name, I don't think. Or if we did. It slipped my mind. <laughs> yes. I forgot to write it down. And <clears throat> so, Yuri will be the thing. Mm-hmm. My, yeah, so, my, my, I do have a question, though, about Bucky Barnes dating. Go at, for it. At some point, the person's going to see the arm. How do you explain that away? <laughs> that all of a sudden, takes the shirt off, and he, this guy has a giant cybernetic arm. <laughs> and poor, poor just, circulation. Right. There are just so many questions. It wasn't a lie. It, it wasn't. <laughs> but, like, at some point, it's going to be revealed. And if, if Bucky himself wanted to date in the past, like, how, would, how do you explain something like that? <laughs> I just think you... It's not like a regular I don't know. limb. It's like a, a, it's something, it's made out of vibranium. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at that point, you would assume you've already had the conversation of him murdering like people for a hundred years. So, hey, honey, by the way, I Maybe spent the... 70 years killing, killing people. I think like the actual arm itself is an easier conversation than <laughs> what they realize as soon as they see the arm, <laughs> like who yeah. you actually are. <laughs> so, it, it is, it's, you know, it confirms the earlier suspicions with um, about Yori's son once, or at least for me, once once Bucky uh, hits the point of the date where, you know, she talks about his, his date is speaking about sadness and they talk about Yori. And then she says, I just can't imagine the pain of losing a child. That's the worst pain that there could possibly be. And that is where Bucky kind of has his limit of the grief and guilt that he can feel for, for the moment. And he just leaves. Right. Go see Yuri. Yes. And then, and then it's just confirmed that it was Yuri's son that he killed. Right. And you can see the shrine kind of behind Yuri in a conveniently placed location where Bucky <laughs> can see it from the door. But hey. <laughs> but yeah, that's very a very touching scene and kind of gives you some insight into what Bucky's been thinking since coming back. So that pretty much wraps up our Bucky plot lines for this episode uh, we pick back up with sam who is visiting his sister and his nephews um back in i, I believe it was louisiana yeah and delacroix specifically delacroix louisiana yep so through this scene we find that um their parents owned a boat um and they had kind of a little business with it and sarah's pre- preparing to sell the boat um because she just can't really keep it Oh, for lack of a better word, afloat. <laughs> good, good choice of words. <laughs> Didn't even think of that uh, one. Um, she's made this decision. Sam's trying to talk her out of it. Um, and you know, there's a whole, whole back and forth between them. He has a plan to take it to the bank um, and see if they can get a loan for it. He's got all the financials figured out. He says, and he's confident it's going to be going to be done. But she knows it's, that she knows the knows. reality of right of, of the situation. And it's really cool to see some of Sam's backstory because, like, all we have before uh, the Winter Soldier is we know Sam was in the military, <laughs> and that's it. Pretty much. Yeah, I guess so. Again, I, I never really thought of that. We never really got Sam's background until now. That didn't even occur to me. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, so I mean, it's really cool to see his you know family life. We even get some glimpses of his childhood mm-hmm. um through like some, you know some pictures he looked at, and it's cool to just see him like kind of be the fun uncle to his nephews and stuff. You know, in between the last bits of Falcon story in this episode, we cut back to Torres, who is following the flag smashers. He found the next location, the meeting location. And this is the part that really reminded me of AR games like Pokemon Go, where just Every, everyone everyone's, staring at their phone. <laughs> everyone's staring at their phone like, you know, only you're not, everyone's not catching a Mewtwo, you're, you're about to commit an act of terrorism. But hey, anyways, everyone's meeting up here and it, it kind of enforces that message board terrorism too, right? Because it's just everyday people, like these are just people existing in the world. They're not right. really uh, an organized organization but yeah. they're a movement right and all these yeah. people are bought into the movement they're showing up at this location and what seems to be the leader of the movement shows up with masks everyone grabs a mask yeah um and then everything just escalates from there. bags are thrown out of a window that seem to be the primary target of the terrorist act um it's some sort of and, robbery or heist of something yeah I, it was pretty unclear what's actually in those bags mm-hmm. i think right so we see the bags are taken um, by one of the members of the Flag Smashers, and he starts to carry them off in the distance, um, at which point he hands them off to two other members, and they're gone. But what happens next is Torres is, uh, confronts this, this larger Flag Smasher that, that grabbed the bags initially once they were thrown out the window, and this Flag Smasher shows, I mean, super strength, basically, Pretty much, he kicks he kicks someone into a telephone pole. They fly like thirty feet, and then he proceeds to, you know, beat Torres down pretty pretty badly. But Torres, luckily, you know, captured all of this on video, and we'll see later. He's able to relay that to Sam. But the the big question of this, maybe we can hit on it when we get to the Sam part, is who is that person that had the super strength? You see, I did I did a little bit of digging, and I think um, it is. I think that person is the leader of the Flag Smashers or of the Flag Smasher movement. Okay. Um, I forget it. They, they gender swapped the leader in this one. Flag Smasher right. is a, a woman this time, and I can't remember the actress who's playing her. It's um, Aaron Kellyman. Aaron Kellyman. Okay. Yep. And I believe this person specifically had very long hair. Mm-hmm. So I think that was actually her. I, I think, actually, the, the person who initially gave up the masks was Erin Kellyman because she has like okay. curly she's very small okay. sort of she was in um solo if you'll remember I she don't remember in, much of solo oh. um <laughs> anyway she she it appeared she was the the person who gave the masks out so this this person's more of a more of a mystery I guess so to say okay, unless he's like a, a henchman of some sort yeah it could or- be so once this fight is over, you know, Flag Smashers disband, not disbanded, but they, they left the scene. Scatter. Um, yeah, scatter. Once the Flag Smashers scatter, we cut back to Sam and Sarah who are trying to get a loan. They're at the bank. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we really get a lot of insight into post-blip Earth. <laughs> Pretty much. In this conversation. I mean, the bank basically is asking Sam for his last five years of... Um, income, which he says, I disappeared. I don't have any. I, income. There is no income. 
and it, it and just to see you know the the fact that he's avenger doesn't rise above the fact that he's black and that sucks right. like you know it's <laughs> like and, he's still not given the benefit of the doubt even being an avenger mm-hmm. and the guy just wants to use him kind of as a prop he's like hey can i get a selfie, selfie with can, you yeah. and like starts asking all these questions about the other avengers and yeah and i that 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 was a question that, I, there was a question that i always had that was answered there is how do these guys get paid and it's I, I never knew that but i mean we got it here where it's a to quote volunteer type or mm-hmm. to goodwill type position where you fall in favor with the rest of the community. Right. But apparently race doesn't trump that. Yep, exactly. In this scenario, unfortunately. Yeah, and they said, you know, goodwill can't I can't remember the exact line, like goodwill can't get you alone. You know, you can't get by on that that goodwill alone. So Yeah, that's it. I mean that that scene was that's one of my favorite things I've seen from Marvel so far. It's it part perfectly cast, perfectly written, and like it it addressed a lot of social commentary just in mm-hmm. five minutes. And I, it's so awesome that we have these series to really give us insight into the post blip world. Like who would have thought we would know what how the banks are handling people reappearing after five years you know like right. i never expected that type of deep dive into what's happening but it's really cool to get that not to mention back to the question i had about the, the guy in tunisia mm-hmm. this banker didn't recognize sam right away but the guy in right. tunisia knew him right away exactly and he had to sit there and think dude how do i know you how, how do yeah. where have i seen you before and, it, and sam had to like hold up his like wings. His little wings to, <laughs> yeah and, oh yeah you're an avenger like, like if you were really that big a fan, you'd recognize him immediately. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that scene just kind of reeked of idiocy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that guy was kind of the perfect, like, worm to be in that scene, mm-hmm. too. Like, the perfect amount of, like, you know, makes you feel uncomfortable <laughs> to <Yeah>. watch him. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't want, I don't want to be around this guy. He, he, I can tell he's that guy at the, uh, at the, at the office that, like, Thinks he's so cool. Wants to go out to happy hour every week with with the uh, with the rest of the staff, but nobody wants to invite him. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so right after leaving the bank, Sam gets a call from Torres, who relays him the video of the flag smashers, particularly the the large one that appeared to be enhanced in some way, and. I think Torres asked, do you think it's, and Sam interrupted him and said, I'm not sure yet. We'll, we'll take a look or something along those lines. But they, there seemed to be some recognition in that, in that person from Sam. Yeah. So Sam seemed to know who he was. I don't know if it was, you know, he recognized his eyes because they did focus on the eyes a little bit, or if he's just kind of thinking that must be someone with the super soldier serum. Maybe. It's very well possible. I didn't. I didn't think of anything that it could, or anyone that it could have been. Yeah, I, I don't think there's enough for us to to go on to speculate a ton at this point. But no, um, I mean, there's also like the outside possibility that w- it would be Zemo. But I that guy know, looked a lot bigger than Zemo. Yeah, though. and I don't think he would have powers either. <laughs> no, based on his whole. I mean, his whole agenda is remote, right. getting rid of powered people. So yeah, Z- Zemo was more of a tactician than. Uh, yeah. than a fighter exactly and i think like giving him powers would take a lot away from his character too right so our final scene then is 
you know, the introduction of the John Walker Captain America, which Sam just kind of is like, oh, no, <laughs> well, <you gotta> be <laughs> is kidding not me. what should have happened. No. Yep. But uh, again, there's there's some underlying social commentary there as well. Oh, for sure. I wouldn't Definitely. even say underlying. <laughs> <laughs> it's more, uh, yeah, you're right. It's more, it's more just smashing us with a baseball bat of, yeah. well, well, the government wanted a white Captain America if you get our right. drift. Okay, yeah. now, now I see what this show is really about. Yeah. And I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah. And not even, have, not even having the respect for Sam to ask him for the shield in, in an honest manner. They right. lied to him and said it was going to be put on a display in the Smithsonian. Yeah, and it was for like a week <laughs> until they trotted out the new guy. Now I'm wondering. I mean, I have questions about John Walker because we don't know anything about him at this point yet. Mm-mm. Like, is he kind of just a jerk, like a huge jerk? Is he a villain? Is he just a good guy caught up in all of this, like in a bad unwilling? Situation. Yeah, because like I, I kind of look back to the first Avenger and having parallels between how they initially used cap in the war just mm-hmm. to like just jump out on stage and, you know, wave at people and yeah, he was war propaganda. propaganda. Yeah. He was propaganda. Yeah. So you kind of wonder if that's how they're planning on using John Walker. This. No, maybe he won't be about that in the same way cap wasn't maybe, maybe he will be excited about that, but I, it's, it's hard to say at this point, it's mostly just speculation on my part. I'm kind of wondering where, where you think they'll take that character? Um, I mean, I personally, I think I'm give, I might be given the benefit benefit of the doubt here, but part of me wants to think that he's just the, a good person wrapped up in a bad situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, th- it's very well possible that the government lied to him if he would have asked. Well, is I'm I'm wondering if. Sam, or if people know that Sam was supposed to be the next Captain America in general, or if they knew that he, they knew he had the shield, but did they know that Steve, Steve, passed the, Steve gave him the mantle or was it just something he had a member, some memorabilia he had. Right. So I'm wondering if John Walker knew that and asked, did you like, was Sam, is Sam aware of this? And they just lied to him or if he just, outright didn't know like the rest mm-hmm. of the general public and just took it yeah that's that's a good question i we get some hints as to what the general public thinks about what happened to cap and we forgot to mention this but back in the scene with with torres when he asked him if cap's on a moon base because he heard that yeah. rumor <laughs> yeah everyone thinks the conspiracy theories but i yeah. I, I wonder if that was uh that was marvel's way of like calling out fan theories of people speculating constantly of what, what could be and what couldn't be, what's going to show up, what's not going to show up. Yeah, just some meta commentary on it. <laughs> I'm sure it is. I mean, yeah, they they sneak stuff like that in all the time. I mean, WandaVision was really good with that, with the everyone becoming fans of the in-universe TV show. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I mean, it seems like no one knows exactly what happened to Cap. I wonder if they've just said... He's dead, I guess. I don't know. Maybe. I'm not sure. But yeah, I mean, I'm guessing next episode we'll find out more with John Walker and what's what his deal is. I'd like, I'm hoping we get some backstory on him and he's just not... Is John you know, Walker going to make note. Bucky's list? Maybe. Maybe he's already on it. You just made the list. <laughs> <laughs> I, could, I could picture... 
Buffy just walking into a WWE arena. <laughs> <laughs> that would be unfair. <laughs> really? <laughs> no, but it, no, to your point about uh, the government using it as propaganda, that's, that's a very good point that they might not really be using him as a hero and they're just going to... Where we saw Steve's perspective of being used as propaganda, we might not see John's as much. Right. We're, we're now the outsiders, but we mm-hmm. understand what that mantle has been used for in the past from the first Avenger, yeah. even from the comics histories, that we get what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and do they even have like a way to power him up? You know, do they even have a way to? Do they even have a way to power him up and make him a hero? <laughs> I don't know. Again, it, no. it it could very well be. It, it, it's just a costume. Yeah, to, to parade him around like, oh, here's the next Captain America. I mean, in the trailers, we see a shot of him running across a football field, I think, with like cheerleaders, and he's waving, and that—that's what really made me think of the the first Avenger scenes where he's trotted out on stage. And I wonder if that's how they just plan on plan on using him, or you know, maybe he's someone that Zemo goes after because he thinks he's truly the next like leader of the Avengers or something like that. Maybe that. Is how that comes in. You know what? You know what that made me start to think of when I saw that football field in the trailer was uh, the boys. Yeah. Of it, this, this just feels like Marvel's response to the boys. Of oh, a little yeah, bit, you, yeah. Yeah. You think you think that we're nothing but propaganda, but we can call out where propaganda really is. Yeah. And that our history of dealing with we 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 acknowledge that we have a history of dealing with. The government and its propaganda. Yep, right. We're aware of what we are. Maybe, um, maybe John Walker is kind of in the same vein as Homelander. He could be horrible, <laughs> <clears throat> a horrible, horrible person. <laughs> that would be that would be interesting. That'd be an interesting twist. Yeah. So I guess we'll see. I mean, that was the last last scene of the episode. Um, you know, the introduction of John Walker to the world. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's going to be a huge plot point going forward. I just wonder how it works in with Flag Smashers and Zemo. And there's a lot of a lot of moving pieces in this show. Excited to see how they fit together. So overall, I'd say it was a great introduction to the show. It's short too. It's only six episodes this year or this time. Right. So yeah, overall, uh, great introduction to the show, uh, and. and and it introduces some great social commentary and introduces a great look at what the world is post-blip since we haven't really gotten that perspective. And I'm curious with how short it is, only six episodes, how or what they're going to be able to pack into these six hours, essentially. Yeah, and I think that they will, you know, th- this runtime is going to be pretty close to WandaVision overall, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's going to be far off from what that ended up being just because of the first few episodes of WandaVision were relatively short uh, by comparison. So we'll see how, how it ends up shaking out. But yeah, overall, I mean, it was really a great start to the series. I'm hooked. I'm excited to see where they go. It's awesome to see Sam and Bucky get this deep dive into their characters and really more backstory on them than I thought we were going to get, Yeah, which is really cool. Well, I mean, with Bucky, we've gotten a lot of backstory over the past mm-hmm. couple installments he's been in, but I'm glad that finally did, we actually had Sam's backstory from back in origin, even though it, it exactly. took until you calling it out to re- for me to realize that we had never seen that before. 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The, I mean, a, lot, was... a lot of these side characters have been kind of living in the shadow of the movies. And I, I think it's pretty fitting that they're doing TV shows to like build out their, their origin. Definitely. And these two are really a great fit for Marvel to choose as their first, one of their first uh, characters to focus on in a mm-hmm. Disney Plus series. So, yeah. Yeah. It was an excellent, excellent episode. Yeah. And a good start to the series. Where do you think it's going to go from here? Honestly, I I don't know. There, Like I said, there are so many moving parts in the series. So what do we what do we do with Zemo? Sharon Carter's still in it at some point yeah. in a prominent role. So um, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited to see what the Flag Smashers are all about. We got hints of it saying that they like the pre-blip world. They, they thought life was better before everyone was brought back. Right. So if you like, what exactly does that mean? Are they people that were in situations like Tony's where, you know, it took some of the pressure off them. They were able to, you know, achieve some things in their life. I, what, what exactly does that mean? Or were they in the complete opposite where once half the population disappeared, there more opportunities sprang up for them that they were able to jump on. Or like, as we got hints of with the bank scene, were they, you know, victims of people coming back and flooding, right. you know, flooding the markets, flooding, they're trying to get houses, uh, you know, there there are a lot of interesting ways they could explain that, and I'm sure they will. You know, that's the point of these series is they have they have the time and the the um, ability to expand on the the backgrounds and the motivations of these characters. So, looking right. forward to that. And I I think we're going to get Fantastic Four confirmation. <laughs> Chris Evans is going to return as Captain, living on a moon base, only to find out that it's really Joe Biden on the moon base, and. Somehow, in some way, Zemo was the friends we made along the way the entire time. Perfect. Also, the therapist is a scroll. The therapist is that. Now, that would be an actual reveal that they would get, that they would throw out. <laughs> no, I, I, I will say it was as much as I loved WandaVision and its like heightened reality and the um, and the fantasy tones it had. It felt kind of relieving to have a more grounded take on this universe again mm-hmm. yeah i mean well if you actually i just this just popped into my head but post end game we are two for two on marvel films slash shows ending with one of the characters being a scrawl in a oh yeah i guess so so yeah <laughs> so home. yeah so maybe we'll go three for three maybe we will <laughs> <laughs> We find out uh, Bucky was actually a scroll this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Someone meets the therapist is like a guy you tried to murder wants to meet with you. <laughs> Where she points up <laughs> Bucky's in secret invasion. <laughs> we can't, we come to find out secret invasion is really just Avengers five. <laughs> it could be <laughs> in space. All right, so All right. we'll be back next week with uh, episode yeah. two. Episode two. I don't believe we have a title yet. No, I don't think we're going to get titles until they drop. Yeah, which is what happened with WandaVision as well. But yeah, looking forward to it. Should be a good series. Yeah. All right. Well, and if you have any thoughts, suggestions, or or comments, we do have a Twitter. Would you like 
and social and Instagram. Would you like to tell our listeners where they can find us? Yep, on Twitter and Instagram, you can find us at, at InfWatchersPod. It's I N F Watchers Pod, all one word. Um, that's Twitter and Instagram. Feel free to send us an email at InfinityWatchersPod at gmail.com. And with that, for Jared, I'm John.